2: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Good morning and welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you so much for hanging out with us this Thursday morning. When I say us, I mean myself and Vanessa, my producer, because Michaela is out again. She tried to come back yesterday. God bless her sweet little soul. I said you should not be here. She looked and sounded terrible uh blowing her nose constantly sniffling her voice was cracking she just needs a little bit more time to feel better she is testing negative for covid so it's not covid thank god although apparently everybody else in the world is getting COVID, the b5 or the b5 variant i believe it's called right now uh, so stay safe uh, michaela get better and hopefully you'll join us again here on the morning beat very very soon but the show must go on vanessa We're going to continue and we're going to do the best job we can because today's International Non-Binary People's Day uh, and we're going to be celebrating and and having discussions and we're going to be joined later by a Chicago-based writer uh, to talk about the non-binary journey uh, because I I feel like sometimes this one's confusing to people. People can wrap their, their brains around, okay, gay, straight, bisexual, got it. Transgender, that makes sense. Non-binary, what does that mean? Especially when, when non-binary people might use pronouns that don't really make sense to, to others. Like I, if I were to go by he or they, that might seem confusing. So we're going to try to take a little bit of the confusion out of it. I know the pronouns are really, really tricky for people, myself included. You're not alone. I totally get it. Uh, but we're going to have that discussion today. Also, why admitting that you are wrong can be good for your health? Huh? I've never, I've never been wrong yet, so I don't know. I guess I've never experienced... And in this moment, ever experienced he's that? wrong. I'm wrong? I've been wrong
3: before? <laughs> Everyone has been wrong.
0: <sighs> I've been wronged. I've been wronged many a time. By you right now, I think. You just wronged me. Do you know what it means when somebody says I've been wronged? Yeah,
3: no, I understand. Okay. <laughs> like, you, like, I get it. I don't know how to explain Some, it, yeah. but I understand.
1: Sometimes
0: certain English <laughs> phrases are a little bit tricky. And, uh, that Like one. you're
3: doing me wrong.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I get it. Like you did me dirty. You did me dirty. So we have a fantastic show coming up for you. Then, of course, we're going to wrap things up at the end of our show today with Tell Me Something Good to send you off into your day with a little bit of love and light in your heart. But before we get to the love and light of it all, it's time to get to news on the beat. Jonathan Mitchell, the former Solicitor General who helped write Senate Bill 8, the restrictive abortion law, opened a private law firm in Texas in 2018 to go after decades of the high court's rulings, according to the Dallas Morning News. Mitchell now has his sights on Descovy and Truvada, two medications that help prevent HIV transmission when taken as PrEP, or pre-exposure prophylaxis because those medications enable homosexual behavior, the suit states. In the case Kelly versus The United States of America filed in federal court in 2020, Mitchell represents several clients who object to the Affordable Care Act's mandate that insurance providers cover, among other things, preventative medications specifically for PrEP. The PrEP mandate forces religious employers to provide coverage for drugs that facilitate and encourage homosexual behavior, prostitution, sexual promiscuity, and intravenous drug use, the lawsuit states. It also compels religious employers and religious individuals who purchase health insurance to subsidize these behaviors as a condition of purchasing health insurance. These conservatives are unbelievable.
3: It's crazy. What if he had diabetes? Should we take away his insulin? That's,
0: that's the thing. And, and 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 to look at this from only the perspective of like, well, they want to go have dirty sex no. and this is making it okay for them. No, it's keeping people safe and alive because countless, countless in our community died during the, the AIDS epidemic and the HIV crisis. And Ronald Reagan, our own president, would not even acknowledge our community for years while more and more they died of what they called gay cancer because nobody knew what it was. It's just so hateful. I just can't stand the Republican Party and I don't under, Log Cabin Republicans, if, you, if there are any of you still listening, please help us understand this. Please help us understand.
3: There are bigger issues like gun control.
0: Oh yeah, Joe Biden talking about how more kids are killed by gun violence every year in the United States than anything else.
3: It's embarrassing. Literally
0: anything else. Guns kill more kids and more high schoolers. So that's where we are. I think we're going to skip the next story and get right to the weather because I'm fired up. Me too. A high of 89 in our nation's capital today, 74 in Chicago, 102 in Austin, 80 here in Los Angeles. And if you're in the Coachella Valley, it's going to be a high of 111 in Palm Springs today. Uh, That feels almost balmy. It's usually like 116. I feel like 111 is like a nice cool day. Stay hydrated. Stay in the shade. Uh, Here's a vibe for you. What you do today can improve all of your tomorrows. If you want a better tomorrow, take action right now. Stick around. We'll be right back.
4: Good morning, Beat. Channel Q.
0: Welcome back to the show once again. uh, Michaela Gordon is not here today. However, I'm holding down the fort. That means that I get to tell this story, which I saw break in the headlines just yesterday. It's time for What's Poppin'. There's the music. Khloe Kardashian is expecting... A second child with her baby's father, Tristan Thompson. I know. I
3: know. I freaked out.
0: The Kardashians and the way that they have families, really, really interesting. Now, of course, uh, as we all know, Tristan Thompson has cheated on her many times. We don't know that they're together right now. They're kind of working on co-parenting, and they're always sort of like one foot in, one foot out. However... Uh, they're going to have this child via surrogate, which is really fascinating. They said we can confirm True will have a sibling who has uh, was conceived in November. Chloe is incredibly grateful to the extraordinary surrogate for such a beautiful blessing. We'd like to ask for kindness and privacy so that Chloe can focus on her family. Their four-year-old daughter, True, is going to be a big sister. I love that. Also... The child was conceived in November.
3: Yeah, so it's...
0: Due, it, like, now. It, yeah. Right? I, I just
3: did the math. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. What is it, like, nine and a half months or something, actually, to have a baby? Something around oh, nine that? Nine months. I think that's what they say, but I feel like it's actually, like...
3: I honestly don't know. I'm not a like mom. Something like that.
0: I'm not a mom either. But it's, all surprise. I know
3: is that... This is so crazy. Does this mean that they're going to get back together?
0: Okay, so this is interesting because they have not been gotten back together and have not spoken since December.
3: I hope they never speak together because when I watch the Kardashians, I am in. I'm like, girl, you're so strong. Come on.
0: Okay, well, they had another falling out. uh, But Okay, so uh, according to multiple sources, the baby was conceived via surrogate before it was revealed that Tristan was having a baby with somebody else which we found about out about this winter. Um, Chloe and Tristan already had the baby in the works when the scandal hit by then. Chloe was just like, I'm going to have to keep doing it myself. Uh, this is fascinating, but the baby is coming any day now. They're going to have another child. And listen, I, I, I debate about this in my head, like what I would do because Courtney kind of went through this with Scott too. They were on again, off again, but they kept having kids together. Is it more important that your kids are full-blooded siblings to each other?
3: I think that's why right? they do this. Uh, I honestly think.
0: Because Kim didn't seem very happy towards the last couple of kids, and she kept having kids with Kanye. You want them to all have the same father. Who right?
3: cares? But half siblings are the best.
0: They are. I have many of them, and I love them dearly. Yeah. But I understand as a parent like that desire to maybe like have your kids have the same genes completely, like the same DNA from mom and dad. I
3: don't know. I think this is going to backfire.
0: I don't see it going well. I don't see Tristan ever growing up, which is frustrating. But Chloe, by all accounts, is a fantastic mom. Uh, and hopefully she can look past the fact that he cheated in 2018, then again in 2019, then again this year. And hopefully he's a good dad. That's all I got to say.
3: Yeah.
4: Good morning, beat Channel Q. All
0: right, Vanessa, I don't know if you realize this, but I... I love reality television, and the show that got me started, my, my love affair started many, many years ago, is The Real World.
5: The Real World.
0: And a few weeks back, we had Danny Roberts on from New Orleans. They did the reunion show, The Homecoming Edition, and he's the reason I came out of the closet. I had an emotional conversation with him. I cried. I didn't expect that to happen. He's like in his like mid-40s now, probably, and I felt like I kind of grew up with him, right? Uh, So I've been watching the other seasons of The Real World Homecoming recently. And one thing that is fascinating to me, because I reached out to a friend of mine, because he owns this property in Joshua Tree Mm -hmm. where they filmed part of season two. And I was like, hey, that's your place, isn't it? He's like, yeah, they came here and filmed for an episode. And he says, have you been watching? And I said, yes. He goes, the thing that blows blows my mind the most is that these are grown adults now that are in their 40s and 50s who were on the show 25, 30 years ago, who still have not matured. They still can't take accountability. They still can't admit when they're wrong about something. Because they're showing old clips and yeah. saying, okay, how do you feel about this now? And they have the exact same argument 30 years later, like zero growth.
3: So they didn't go to therapy.
0: They did not go to therapy. <laughs> they have no idea how to admit they're wrong. And if you if you feel like you can relate or if you know somebody who can relate, we're having a conversation coming up with a psychology professor uh, for Therapy Thursdays about how to admit when you're wrong. And why admitting that you're wrong is actually a really, really cool opportunity for good things to happen. But also, why is it so difficult for people? Yeah. Like, why is it hard for us to be like, hey, we were wrong, right? Interesting. We were just talking off air a moment ago about the footage from Uvalde, the shooting at the elementary school, and the cops standing there doing nothing, using hand sanitizer, having chill conversations while kids are literally being massacred. And there's no, like, real admission of wrongdoing yet like kind of but they're not really taking accountability nobody's saying hey our cops these cops they sucked
3: yeah like not- they
0: should not be police officers if you can't protect children what are you doing like what's the point well maybe they should listen to the segment to, to learn how to admit they're wrong, so they can maybe maybe not be so wrong in the future. Uh, that's coming up in Therapy Thursdays today. I'm very passionate about it. I've also never been wrong before, so I'm curious to know, you know, if, if 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 at some point in the future I am perhaps wrong, Vanessa, how would I admit that? I don't know. I don't know. I've never I've never crossed that bridge yet. So
3: you might cross it today. I
0: might cross <laughs> it today. I'm sure I will many many more times. Uh, let's get to some news on the beat. Oh, this hate group claims the hate group is claiming people are pedophiles. The US is taxing it as a church. What do you call an organization whose president uh, said same-sex marriage crossed moral boundaries and called pedophilia a homosexual problem? The Southern Poverty Law Center called it a hate group. The US government called it a church. The Family Research Council was given tax-exempt status by the Internal Revenue Service back in 2020, according to a July 11th report from ProPublica. In filings obtained through the Freedom of Information Act, a right-wing lobby group claimed that FRC President Tony Perkins acted in a role analogous to being a religious leader. They're basically saying he was a a religious leader, right? The organization further alleged that its congregants – are its employees, supporters, board of directors, and partner churches. Being designated as a church makes it unnecessary for FRC to file a public tax return, allowing it to withhold staffers' salaries, the names of board members, and large payments or grants made to independent contractors. It also prevents the IRS from auditing the group without approval from a senior member of the Treasury Department. This is so shady. I don't believe that by and large, I don't think that most churches should be tax exempt. If they are, if they are clearly doing, you know, work for the community, helping the homeless, helping those who like have mental health issues, whatever, if they're really pouring their resources into that, then maybe that's a discussion I'm open to. But to be tax exempt because you're a quote religious organization and have no proof of it whatsoever is so much of what's wrong with our country. There should be a separation of church and state. There used to sort of be. It feels like there's zero now. So that needs to be addressed. (sighs) A Boston affordable housing project for LGBTQ seniors was vandalized with homophobic and threatening graffiti on Sunday. The Massachusetts-based nonprofit organization that is leading the housing project's construction, LGBTQ Senior Housing, Inc., shared photos of the hateful messages, including, We Will Burn This and the... mm, The F's will die by fire. This was shared on Facebook. You can all figure out that word. If you're a gay man, you've probably been called that word before, as have I. Boston police confirmed with NBC Boston they were investigating the Pride, which began construction last month, will convert a former middle school in Boston's Hyde Park neighborhood into 74 units of mixed income housing for seniors. It was built as New England's first LGBTQ senior affordable housing project and is expected to welcome its first residents late next year. Hopefully they get that back on track. Why people hate our community so much is beyond me, um, but let's give them some love in Boston. How about some weather? It's a high of 89 in New York today. Uh, that is the The opposite of Boston there, arch rivals. Uh, 93 in Orlando, 97 in Denver, 78 in Seattle, 80 here in Los Angeles, 67 up in the Bay Area, and 112 in Cathedral City. It's going to be a hot one. Stay Cool. Here's a vibe for your day. What you do today can improve all your tomorrows. And we're about to improve your tomorrows in Therapy Thursdays. Next, how to admit when you're wrong. Listen, I think a lot of people will agree with this statement. One of the hardest aspects of being a human and growing as, as a full adult is learning how to admit when you're wrong. Like we, we can convince ourselves of so many things uh, and sometimes we convince ourselves that our, our truth is the only truth and that's that. Why is it so difficult, and could it be beneficial to our health uh, to learn to let go of the need to be right all the time a little bit more often? So for Therapy Thursdays, we're talking to Dr. Adam Fetterman, who's a psychology professor and director of the Personality, Emotion, and Social Cognition Lab at the University of Houston. Uh, Dr. Fetterman, thank you so much for being here. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Well, this, this article that you're a part of is really, really fascin- fascinating, and you talk about the barriers uh, to recognizing that first you might have made a mistake or been wrong about something, because uh, I think you have to be able to recognize before you can get to the part where you can actually say, hey, I was wrong, I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, there are, and there are a lot of bar- barriers because uh, humans just don't like uncertainty. So we are motivated to try to reduce any type of uncertainty that we can as quickly as possible. And often the easiest way to do that is just to reject new information. Well, I
0: think, I think we've seen so much of that happening on a global scale these last couple of years, especially during the pandemic, where things that used to be accepted as fact are now being questioned and everything's questioned and it, it, it's almost like the questions run so deep that people get confused by what the actual answer is so how do you know how are you able to like take a step back in a, in a situation where you, maybe emotions are high and say okay let's look at this from an outside perspective and, and consider if i'm possibly wrong
1: yeah that's that's a difficult one, and you're you're correct that uh that it does seem like with all the influx of information that we get and the conflicting information, it's hard to parse right what is right and what is wrong, and oftentimes it is just taking the time. It seems like the longer that people contemplate on something, the more that they can uh kind of take themselves, take their ego out of whatever it is they're talking about, and really kind of think about. You know, the implications of what they're saying or maybe the source of where they're getting their information from. And another thing is just to kind of remove yourself from that kind of, uh, I don't know, echo chamber of people yelling in the void and uh, really try to contemplate things on your own.
0: That's nice. I mean that's really great advice Maybe maybe put yourself in different scenarios Or in different rooms and conversations Where everybody doesn't just agree with everything That you think and feel um, Challenge you a little bit And I think that's really super important You know I just got married I've been with my partner for 10 years And I'm pretty good with words And I'm a really good arguer Like I'm really good at it And I'll even hear myself sometimes Halfway through an argument And it might be about absolutely nothing They're usually like the dumbest arguments ever but I will be so, so dedicated to proving my point and proving that I'm right that I just sometimes cannot let it go in the moment. And then later on, I'll be like, I was never I was never right. I'm so sorry about that. Like, why do we do that? Why do we feel like it's so important, like we're being misunderstood if we don't get our point across and prove that we
1: are right? Well, it's uh, primarily because humans are intensely social. Like, everything that we've... Uh, done to get to our society is built on groups and being social and so therefore we're tr- always trying to impress other people and we have a thing in our field called impression formation and impression management and in impression management we're trying to make sure that people we people see us the way that we want them to see us and impression formation that's how we see other people mm. and interestingly when we're trying to manage our impressions, we focus on competence. We want to be smart. We want to know what we're talking about, and we, you know, we're we're going to try to manage our impressions so that we're right. However, we uh, find one of the biggest effects in our uh, in this area is that people focus on niceness and friendliness over confidence when they're forming impressions. So we have this mismatch between our motives to manage our impressions and the actual way that people form impressions of other people.
0: Yeah, it doesn't line up. If you're just now joining us, it's Therapy Thursdays. We're talking to Dr. Adam Fetterman, a psychology professor, uh, and we're talking about the willingness uh, to admit when you're wrong, why it's so difficult for people. And one of the interesting things you talk about in this article is that the irony of it all is... Is that if we were willing to admit we're wrong more often, it could actually improve all of our lives? Explain.
1: Well, uh, so a lot of our research that we've been doing recently has been looking at when people see somebody admitting they're wrong, what do they do? How do they see that person? And so one of our latest publications on this was looking at wrongness admission on social media and particularly on Facebook. So we staged this big argument on a Facebook wall and um, we either had the per- person's last post say that they were wrong or that they maintained that they were right. And what we find across a bunch of studies is that people in that condition where they admit they're wrong, when the the stranger admits they're wrong, they rate them higher on reputation. They like them more. Isn't that and, it, oh, it's so interesting? Yeah. And so people think that they're going, like if you're on Facebook or on social media and you're arguing It's not like you're having a one-to-one conversation. There's possibly thousands, based on your privacy settings, there's hundreds to thousands of people that can witness your wrongness. And so if you admit that you're wrong, you're potentially telling thousands of people that you are incompetent. But what we find is that it doesn't work that way. When people see that you admit that you're wrong, people like you more. It
0: is really fascinating. Unfortunately, I watch a lot of reality television. And every like, any cast of any show that you've watched season after season, cast members have like good years and bad years. And sometimes I'll be like, I love Lisa Renna this year, or I hate Lisa Rinna this year. But what's interesting, that no matter how much I dislike a character, if they have a moment of vulnerability and say, hey, I was wrong, and it feels genuine, I always come back around. I always start rooting for them again. So you're saying that on a larger scale, outside of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, as humans, like we're we're more open when somebody else is willing to admit like they're wrong, or maybe you're the one who's willing to admit that you were wrong.
1: Yeah, definitely. And we've actually have. we haven't published this yet, so maybe it's a bit tentative, but we actually did this with politicians, too, even mm-hmm. well-known polit- politicians with like Biden and Trump. Mm-hmm. And it didn't even matter what the person, the, the participants' own political ideology was. If the person admitted they're wrong, whether they were Republican or Democrat, they still liked them more. They may not like them that much but they still like them more than if they refuse to admit they're wrong
0: wow that's so fascinating you know thank you so much for joining us for therapy thursdays today uh dr adam fetterman uh really fascinating stuff turns out all we got to do to live a little bit happier lives is admit we're wrong from time to time i'll 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 try to do that and see how it works out
4: the morning beat with aj and michaela channel q
0: Let's talk about relationships, Vanessa, for just a moment, because I've been married for three and a half weeks now, so I'm clearly an expert on all things relationships, Um, and I would not have gotten to the altar or the stage in that nightclub I got married on uh, had I not paid attention to the red flags and the green flags in a relationship that told me this is a problem and this is like a go, right? You're familiar with red flags, correct? Yeah, I
3: understand red flags. Yeah,
0: somebody somebody is maybe a big red flag for me would be we go out to dinner, first date, second date, third date, whatever, and the person I'm out to dinner with is rude to the server. A hundred percent. That's like a red flag because that tells me if you're rude to a complete stranger, you're going to be rude to me. Exactly. And you're probably rude to people in your life. That is a deal breaker for me. Red flag. Red flag. For sure. What's a red flag for you? Like, what is something that you're like, absolutely not?
3: One that's coming to mind right now, just, I don't know why, but uh, if you like Trump, I was like, okay, well, excuse me, we have nothing in common. (laughs) I, at
0: this point in my life, could not date a Republican, period. Just for the things that the party stands for nowadays, I could not do it. And
3: that would be. Five
0: years ago, maybe. Six, seven years ago, maybe. Now, absolutely not. Those are red flags for us. Uh, A green flag would be. What if, if I see that I'm with somebody and I'm getting to know them and we're at the park and they're really kind to like a baby or a child or a puppy. Okay. I'm all in like, I'm ready to marry them right now. Like what's your big turn on? What's a big green flag for you?
3: I can't think of a big green light, green flag, but if they tip well. (laughs)
0: Yes. Well, they're generous. It shows generosity.
3: I was like, okay.
0: And thinking of others. I love Mm -hmm. that. One thing that my husband does, he did it the other day again. I love it whenever it happens, is we'll be walking down the street or out of a store and I'll turn around and he won't be with me anymore. And then I'll look and I'll find, and he would find like an unhoused person. Mm -hmm. somebody living on the streets and he's having a conversation with them and giving them whatever's in his wallet might be 20 bucks or 50 bucks whatever it is and he does that all the time and i love it so much about him it like brings me to tears when i think about it because it makes me so there was one time we were leaving a grocery store and he stopped and talked to this this uh unhoused man for probably 30 minutes oh wow knew his whole life story gave him money uh bought him some dinner and they formed like a bond which is really cool so that's 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 an example of a green flag have you ever heard of a pink flag? No. Okay, so this is really interesting. Pink flags in relationships are those things that are maybe you don't love, but they're not necessarily deal breakers. So a pink flag could be, you know, they're not that tidy. They don't pick up that often. They leave the toilet seat up, right? And it could go one of two ways. On one hand, it's an opportunity to try to work through something and to become better. So it could be like an opportunity to turn it into a green flag, right? Or it could be a thing that if you don't address it, it starts to fester. And then it becomes like from a small thing to a big, big thing. And then it's just donezo. Do you, when you were in relationships, are a majority of your arguments... Big, huge arguments, or are they dumb things that you that turn into fights?
3: I feel like they're dumb things because I could always say, like, you know what? I'm sorry. Like, I will always apologize. And I'm like, am I the one that needs to apologize right now? But I, I always think, you know what? That was stupid. Like, let's not argue. So I will always say, okay, I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Because I always feel like arguments are, like, Petty things.
0: Yes, uh, almost all of our arguments. I don't think we've ever had a real argument about some th- something substantial in our relationship in ten years. To, to be honest, a couple, but for the most part, they're all like the stupidest arguments. Mm-hmm. Somebody's probably hangry. It sounds <laughs> like it sounds like you actually. We just had this conversation in our last segment with a with a psychologist about admitting that you're wrong, and it could lead to a happier life. You're very very happy. Is it because you're willing to admit when you're wrong, even if here's well here's I got to ask you, ask me, I said this one time to my fiance at the time. And I said, listen, sometimes just so you know, (laughs) this is me being so petty and immature. Just so you know, sometimes I admit I'm wrong to you and I apologize, even when I don't think that I'm wrong. That doesn't mean I'm not wrong. It means I don't think that I'm wrong, but I'm still going to admit it just so we can move on because I love you. And he's like, that's awful. (laughs) He's like that, that does nothing for me. So you're telling me you still think I'm wrong, but you're just willing to like be like holier than thou and admit it so we can move on? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So that's maybe something I could work on. You think?
3: Yeah. But you know what? I'm the same because I'm thinking like this doesn't need to be a big fight if I just tell you, okay, I'm sorry. Well, I
0: think the difference is you think it. I have to express it. Uh, I have to say out loud, I don't think I'm wrong right now, but I'm sorry. <laughs> nah. <laughs> no. No.
2: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
4: Good Morning Beat, Channel Q.
0: Welcome back to the show as we continue honoring International Non-Binary People's Day. We're excited to be joined by uh, a member of the community right now who's here to tell us about their journey a bit. They're a Chicago-based writer by the name of Camille Berejik. Uh, Camille, thank you so much. How are you doing?
4: I'm so good. Thank you for having me.
0: Um, this is really fascinating. This article about you know how you felt that dressing in in female clothing for so many years sort of almost felt like a drag performance to you until you explored uh, your gender a little bit more deeply. Uh, can you explain that journey a bit to our listeners?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think for me it was about for you know my entire life for you know, close to 30 years. I thought, okay, like I'm a woman and this is how women dress. Um, because we are so, uh, we have these like gender norms ingrained in us from a really young age and an idea that, you know, there's only one way to be a woman. There's only one way to be a man. Um, I think for me, I had to open up and think that maybe there's a little bit more to my gender than just, uh, performing womanhood the way that I have been told that's supposed to be performed. Um, because really there is like, there's multiple ways to be any gender, um, Male, female, non-binary, any, uh, any letter of the, any other letter of the alphabet. Um, there's a lot of ways to do it. And I think it just, it took a little bit of exploring for me to realize that there's a lot of ways that I can do it that can feel right to me.
0: Uh, and, and, and we have conversations a lot on the show about pronouns. You know, a lot of people uh, who are my age and older, to be honest, are, are a little mm-hmm. bit sometimes like they trip up a little bit when it comes to pronouns. Now, your pronouns are she, they, and that's always an interesting conver- like, combination for me. Explain why you're holding on to the pronoun she while also uh, sort of embracing they.
4: Yeah, so I identify as a non-bi- non-binary woman. Um, so for me, it's that both of those pronouns feel affirming. Um, and I think as I explain a little bit in the HuffPost piece, uh, you know, gender um, gender expression and identity can fluctuate day to day. So there are some days that really being called uh, they is feels really affirming to me. And there are other days that it's like a little bit, you know, I, I don't feel it as much Um and also, like, to be called she, her um, does not feel misgendering to me. Um, that's not the case for a lot of non-binary people. A lot of non-binary folks, um, there's only one set of pronouns um, that really feels good and validating and affirming for them. For me, I just happen to have two. Those are, um, you know, being non-binary and still being, you know, a woman and in, in the way that it makes sense to me. Um, they're both really core and important parts of my identity, so both sets of pronouns Feel good to me. That's that's what I use. I
0: love that, and I think that so oftentimes people want to do good and they want to respect others, but they're so afraid to get the pronouns wrong. Like they're so afraid of messing up. Um, Mm -hmm. My my producer on my podcast is non-binary, and and for a while was using the pronouns they them, but now he uses he they, and Mm -hmm. so it's interesting to me. For me, I was like, do you prefer one? And they said, no, actually, no. Sometimes I prefer he, but sometimes I prefer they. So whichever one you want to use works. Uh, So for those who are maybe trying to wrap their brains around pronouns and and don't want to get it wrong, uh, is is it, is it the intention behind what someone, you know, how someone refers to you that is more important to you, even if they get it wrong from time to time?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have to see that you're trying, you know, like, just like if, you know, if someone tells you, you know, oh, my name is Michael, but call me Mike,
5: mm-hmm.
4: um, you know, like that's that's a change that we can make pretty easily. And nobody thinks twice about it. Um, pronouns are just about affirming people and making them feel the best that they possibly can. Um, so if the intention is there, like, of course, it's natural to mess up, It's especially if it's somebody, you know, if there's someone you've known for a really long time and you're used to it, that kind of thing happens. Um, but a quick apology and acknowledgement saying, oh, I'm so sorry, you're right. I'll do better next time um, and not drawing it out, not making it all about you. And, oh, oh, no, I'm the worst. You know, I messed it up. Like that doesn't do anything for anyone. So just like for when you mess up pronouns, correct yourself quickly, acknowledge it and move on and internally acknowledge that you're going to do better next time. Um, That's really like the most that folks can ask for. I love that. I
0: also think that it's really fascinating that in this article you talk about your wife and how she struggled a little bit at first. You know, was saying, listen, I can get all on board with with however you choose to identify and however you want to me to affirm you and your gender. I'm fine with that. But she said, "Am I still allowed to call you my wife?" Uh, talk about that conversation a bit.
4: Yeah, I mean, oh my gosh, my wife is amazing. I am so lucky. I have just the most supportive, of uh, validating, wonderful partner I could ever dream of. And you know, it is. I I think it's it's very meaningful to us to be able to say like yes, I am a wife to somebody and I have a wife, <laughs> like that we we had an intentional conversation when we got married about how we wanted to to refer to each other um and speak about each other. And so I know like if if I had wanted her to use different language, if I had wanted her to call me her partner, her spouse, I'm certain that she would have done it because um her like Respecting me and my identity would have come first for her no matter what. Um, but I do like that's part of, you know, be still holding on to an aspect of my womanhood is that it is important for me to say, like, yes, I am a woman's wife and like, that is not a reality that i could have said 1520 years ago that's not something that that's not a life that i could have lived yeah. and so it is really important for me to acknowledge like the significance of that of that choice and of that facet of my life because and you know like you know this the supreme court um is Everyone is a little bit freaked out about um, what, you know, the Roe decision for itself, obviously, and what it could mean for marriage next. So it's it's really powerful to me to be a wife with a wife. Um, and that's something that I chose and wanted to hold on to um, despite identifying as non-binary also.
0: A wife with a wife, I love it. It's interesting. I've been married for three and a half <laughs> weeks, right? So I literally just yeah. got married a few weeks ago. and I Amazing, congrats. Thank you. I love the word husband. And I think and yeah. maybe in a similar way to you, I love also that it's two husbands in our in our marriage, and I think that's important. I think it's important for us to make sure we use those words as opposed to spouse or something else to let the mm-hmm. world know that there are different ways of being husbands than what we've been taught. And it sounds like it's kind of similar for you and your wife, which I think is so beautiful. Before I let you go, though, I do want to share one quote from your article that really stood out to me. And it's sort of like uh, you explaining your journey uh, with, with uh, gender and identifying as non-binary, saying, I'm realizing that this identity isn't about banning anything from my name or my wardrobe. It's about creating space for an abundance of queer possibilities. And I think that's so powerful because what, I think what you're saying is we're not trying to like, cut things out of our lives. We're trying to expand them,
4: and you can too. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think something that, you know, I thought, like a misconception I had about uh, being non-binary when I was first coming into this identity is that there's only one way to do it. You know, we are taught that the ideal, quote-unquote, non-binary person is a thin, white, wealthy person who dresses masculine as center. You know, Mm -hmm. that's the image that we so often get. And in reality, you know, there's, like, People have been non-binary for as long as we have had people on this earth. Um, It may be new to the mainstream, but it's not a new idea. And so I think for me, I had to really go through that thought process and journey of saying, like, yep, if I wear a dress, I'm still non-binary. If I wear a suit, I'm still non-binary. If I wear makeup or a bra or shave my legs or don't do any of those things, I am still non-binary. Um, And that I think, you know, the more folks can have that realization, the more we broaden our collective understanding of what gender is and of how powerful uh, diverse gender expression can be.
0: I couldn't put it better myself, so I won't try. Cam Berejik, thank you so much for (laughs) joining us to celebrate uh, and sort of expand our minds a bit on this International Non-Binary People's Day.
4: Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Good morning, Beat. Channel Q. I'll
0: be honest, Vanessa. This is this is usually the time every morning where I start to get kind of hungry. I start thinking about food, what I'm going to have for like a late breakfast or an early lunch. So this the timing of this story is perfect. And it has to do with a viral TikToker by the name of Trini, who was a former employee of Olive Garden, right? She got fired because of her TikTok though, because she went on TikTok and explained how those who come in for their unlimited soup salad and breadsticks, it's kind of what Olive Garden is known for $9 and 99 cents, by the way, people come in and she goes at max, they might tip you $2 and they might have four or five bowls of soup in multiple salads and a ton of breadsticks. And she said, it's just unbearable. We can't do it. It's horrible. These people are horrible. If you're getting more service, you should tip for it because we can't afford to pay our bills off $2 tips, right? And and the internet is kind of taking her side on this, right? I love Olive Garden.
3: Oh, me too.
0: Like, I'll go there like once every couple of years, though. Like, I don't go often, but when I do go, you better believe I'm eating all the salad. I don't really do the soup. I do all the salad, though, because I love the and the and the black olives and the onions. I love it all but I also love the breadsticks and I'll order a whole side, like a bowl of Alfredo sauce and go to town. So good. But I tip more. I always tip like 20, 25%. And if I know that I'm putting the server through the ringer, I'll give extra money. Right. But it brings up this question though, when it comes to like these sort of like all you can eat deals or buffets, like how much is too much? Like, are you going back for, like, a third or a fourth or a fifth round? Or are you one of those who makes one trip through and says, okay, I'm embarrassed, I'm going to stop now?
3: I'm the person that, okay, if it's, let's pretend that unlimited soup and salad, I will have two. Okay. I will have two soups, and I will have two salads. Okay, that's fair. And I love the soup at Tuscana, if you have Olive Garden, if you know, you know. S- but what I... And also, like, I'm not going to eat three because I'm full. Yeah. But, like, some people are like, we're paying for this. Like, we're going to have five. And I'm just thinking to myself, honestly, you're taking advantage okay. and it's embarrassing.
0: I'm kind of one of those people. <laughs> I won't do it there. Like, I won't go get more food. But I am one of those guys that, perfect example, every time I'm on a flight and if I, if I fly business class or whatever and they provide a meal, right, doesn't matter how bad the meal is. I'm eating it. I'm eating all of it. <laughs> I eat the entire thing because it's free. It's not free. I mean, I paid $1,000 for my flight, so it's whatever. But in my mind, I'm like, this is free, so I get it. Whenever they give out snacks, I never turn them down.
3: Even if you don't want it.
0: Even if like, I, som- I want it. Sometimes I'll just put them in my bag. <laughs> yeah. And I'll eat them on vacation or I get the hotel later or something like that. I think also I grew up in a single-parent household. My mom worked in a factory, and my grandmother helped raise us a lot, so we didn't have a whole lot growing up. So whenever I get something or I have an opportunity to do, I feel like this anxiety almost. Buffets are weird for me because when we were down in Mexico for our wedding a few weeks ago, there was a a breakfast buffet that was just absolutely incredible. Like everything was so good. And it was all like made from scratch, made to order. They had like omelet stations and things like that, fresh fruit stations. And I would just go through and round up plates. And I have a habit. I've gotten better as I've gotten older, but I used to almost feel this anxiety. Like when I went... And I think it probably stems from my childhood. We used to go to a lot of buffets as kids. There was uh, the Ponderosa buffet, which is like kind of like a steakhouse, kind of like Sizzler. There was the Pizza Hut buffet on Wednesday nights. Oh, wow. There was the Casey Jones fried chicken buffet that we would go to sometimes. And they would have other things. But like, fried chicken was like their main like, source of protein. And as a large family, it made sense for our parents to take us to those places because it wasn't that expensive. And we could eat a lot like a couple meals worth, right? And I feel like being a kid in the large family, I always felt like I had to hurry. Like I had to hurry eat as much as I could in hey, the time I had. Back. Yeah, because my family would be like, okay, we're ready to go now. And I'm like, I'm not ready, but they all ate like monsters. So I feel like I still have a little bit of that in me.
3: Uh, you know when we I first got to this country, we would we would go to soup soup plantation. Oh, so good. Okay, and we didn't have that in Colombia. I, I never saw the name place is in Co- problematic
0: AF. Like it's a terrible name. Plantations. That
3: had to do with soups. <laughs>
0: plantations are what what the slave owners used to like run. Those well, are called plantations, just so you know. But it's anyways, a great restaurant when chain.
3: When my mom took us for the first time, and I and like it was like. I just said you just went once and like you got what you got. And my mom's like, no, you can go again. And I was like, what? You can go again?
0: Well, I went to so many buffets as a kid that one time I went after I played CYO basketball, which is like church league basketball in elementary school. And my friend Phil, his parents, Philip, uh, they decided to take us out to this place called MCL Cafeteria back home. It's like a buffet. I thought it was a buffet because I'd eaten so many buffets growing up. Well, it turns out, We're going through line and the kids are getting like chicken nuggets or whatever. And I ordered like a steak. I'm like, yeah, put that on there. And they're like looking at me like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize until we went to check out that you get pay you you pay based on what you order. It wasn't a buffet. I probably cost them thirty bucks back in nineteen ninety-two and they're still thinking about it.
5: Tell me something good.
0: We'll tell you something good. We're almost to the weekend. We're almost there, Friday, right around the corner. And these stories are hopefully going to help lift up your spirits today as you head off to tackle your day wherever you are. Thanks for listening to The Morning Beat, as always. Here goes. A Florida community sent mental health workers instead of police on certain calls. Not one mental health worker was injured, and there was a 19% drop in suicide rate. I think that's fantastic. That is worth pointing out. That happened in St. St. Petersburg, Florida. And other cities across the country have been trying to do more of this. When we talk about police policing in America and police reform and defunding the police, that doesn't mean that people are trying to say, let's not have police departments anymore. What they're saying is, myself included, what we're saying is, let's just also put some of our resources into other things that are more effective, right? As opposed to showing up. Uh, to uh, somebody's home who might be mentally unstable or in a dark place, instead of showing up with guns ablazing, let's show up and have a conversation, and, and have experts who are trained to have those conversations. And it's, it's happening in Saint Petersburg, and it's working. So kudos to them. Also, how about this one? Uh, people will consistently underestimate how much others in their social circle might appreciate an unexpected phone call, text, or email just to say hello. In a paper published by the American Psychological Association, researchers conducted a series of experiments involving around 6,000 participants that explored how accurate people are at estimating how much others might appreciate an attempt to connect and what factors might play into that level of appreciation. As it turns out, here's how they did this. In one uh, experiment, the participants were asked to recall the last time they reached out to someone in their social circle just because, right? Uh, And the rest of the participants were asked to recall a similar situation where someone reached out to them. Okay. So both ends of this thing. Uh, and on a seven point scale, one being, you know, not, not interested at all to seven being, it was a great amount of time that they've actually done this amount of opportunities to reach out, whatever. Um, it varied wildly. What they found in this study is that people just love an unexpected phone call an unexpected text just to say, how are you? It relieves the pres- pressure of and the stress of like being alone and solitary. And it's something that I do a lot. And I go through phases where sometimes I'll be better at this than others. But every now and then what I'll do is I'll grab a whole bunch of like thank you cards. I'll buy like a pack of 20. Mm-hmm. And then I'll write thank you notes to people, not for anything in particular, just because they are. And I'll just send them to them. And what happens, it's really interesting. Usually at least a handful of them, almost all of them will at least text me A handful of them will call me and then we'll end up having a really nice conversation about how much we mean to each other, which is kind of nice. So if you're thinking about it, I'm a firm believer if if an idea pops into your head to, like, reach out to somebody that means something, God, your spirit, angels, your ancestors, somebody, some energy somewhere saying, hey, reach out to that person. That's so so true. You should definitely do it. Um, I think it's a great way to end our show. A little bit clunky, but hey, I'm on my own today. Hopefully, Michaela will be back soon. She's trying to recover. I'll probably be on my own tomorrow. I can't imagine she's going to come back for a one-day work week. Uh, but who knows? She is Michaela Gordon, so <laughs> there are no rules when it comes to this one. Uh, right now, though, we have three hours of cur- uh, specially curated music just for you uh, here on Channel Q, followed up by Let's Go There a little bit later on this afternoon and "Love Line" with Dr. Chris Donahue tonight. I'll see you tomorrow.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.